Hello and welcome to Overdrive, which is now live for 2015. This is where we take a populist approach to cars and transport. I'm David Brown. This program and extended segments of the interviews are also available on our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And in this program, we look at news stories from around the world, including an instinctive cycle warning system. In our feature interview, we talk about the practical reality of very fast trains in Australia. We road test the Nissan X-Trail. And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith and Errol Smith, we take a lighthearted look at NASA teaming up with Nissan to develop self-driving cars. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. So let's get the program going. First, the news. Jaguar Land Rover has revealed its Bike Sense research. Their advanced research centre is identifying the best warning colours, sounds and touch technologies that will trigger an instinctive response from the driver. Sensors on the car will detect when another road user is approaching, specifically identifying bicycles or motorbikes, with the Bike Sense system making the driver aware of the potential hazard before they see it. But rather than using a generic warning icon or sound, which takes time for the driver's brain to process, the system uses lights, sounds and haptic, that's touch, warnings through the vehicle's pedals and controls that the driver will instinctively associate with the potential danger. Rickshaws are part of life across much of Asia for tourists and locals alike. However, the gasoline-powered versions of these three-wheeled vehicles are not environmentally friendly, creating smog and noise pollution. Japanese company Terra Motors has developed a new electric rickshaw it hopes will improve the environmental impact of these devices and also save on fuel costs for drivers. In India, as elsewhere across Asia, rickshaws are thought to be responsible for up to 20% of all trips. According to Terra Motors, the vehicle has fuel costs of one-thirteenth of what a fuel-powered vehicle does. It can carry six people for up to 100 kilometres on a full charge with a top speed of 30 kilometres an hour. Rescue services that attend car accidents talk about the golden hour. If you can reach people who have been injured within an hour of the accident, you significantly increase the probability of saving lives. Now an emergency call system dubbed eCall will be installed in all new European cars from March 2018 under an agreement reached at the European Parliament. The system will send an automated call to the emergency services in the event of an accident. Research suggests that the mandatory use of the system could halve response times, especially in rural areas. An information security audit by New South Wales Auditor-General has found that traffic signal networks managed by the New South Wales Roads and Maritime Services could have potentially been hijacked, leading to traffic disruptions. The audit is titled Security of Critical IT Infrastructure. 
RMS and Transport for New South Wales have deployed many controls to protect traffic management systems, but these would have been only partially effective in detecting and preventing incidents and unlikely to support a timely response, the audit said. According to the report, Transport for New South Wales has recognised that the current system is inadequate and a security monitoring and assessment program will be implemented over the next two years. The New South Wales Government has made alcohol interlocks mandatory for high-range and repeat drink-driving offenders. Over 20,000 drivers in New South Wales are convicted of drink-driving offences every year. Anyone caught with a high-range blood alcohol concentration, 0.15 or above, and repeat offenders will be ordered to have an alcohol interlock for a minimum of 12 months. Participants will pay around $2,200 per year to providers for the system, although the program offers a tiered pricing structure, including a fully subsidised option for people in severe financial hardship. Penalties for people who attempt to abuse the system will be harsh. Those who attempt to help participants evade the system will face a fine of $2,200. After a suggestion by residents to brighten up their street, the city of Port Adelaide Enfield painted a rainbow-coloured target pattern on the centre island of a new roundabout at the intersection of Church Street and Dale Street. But now the location has become the centre of a road safety investigation. Apparently the bright pattern has attracted pedestrians, particularly children, who have been seen to play Ring-a-Ring-a-Rosie on the brightly coloured surface. Other concerns are that the centre of the roundabout is not very high and is difficult to see, resulting in cars and trucks driving straight through the roundabout. And that has been the news. China is the country with the longest very fast train system. Spain is the next and then we have the great example of Japan. And now other countries are coming on board. Britain and America have plans to build very fast train projects. Should Australia follow suit? To discuss this I have on the line Ken Dobbinson from 10,000 Friends of Greater Sydney. Ken, thanks for your time and should Australia have its own very fast train system? In my view, very much yes. We've got huge wide open spaces and we need, really need, better 21st century connections between our main centres. That's like Melbourne, Canberra, Sydney and Brisbane. But it would also, if we had fast trains, between these sort of centres, it would also enable our regional centres to grow, like, for example, Albury, Lismore. Mm. And, and this, in turn, would reduce the stress on our major cities. So it's all, I see it as all being very, very positive. Do you think that would reduce the amount of uh, or our dependence on aeroplanes? Is that part of the, the equation? Uh, it would reduce our dependence, but I don't think it would have very, very much effect on, uh, on air travel. Oh. But I see we need both. That's, that's my, my view of it. But it also, for example, on the shorter... Uh, airline trips which Sydney and Canberra or, or Sydney and Newcastle it had possi- possibly reduced the need for these mm. and which of course would open more airspace at the likes of Mascot and in the future Badgerys Creek because you wouldn't need these services 
uh, as you have them today. So I think we need both, you know, improved air services, and that's why we need Badgeries Creek. But we also need to be planning and building a fast rail system because we've just got this huge spread-out country. So what's the market there, business trips to holidays? I think it's everything. Uh, uh, business trips, probably a high profile from our cities, but in the regional centres, I think it would be much more business trips because people would be connecting back into the major centres more often, but having the choice of, of course, living and having jobs in these regional centres, which is always a problem today. Well, someone estimated that it would cost over $100 billion for an East Coast uh, very fast train. Is that a, a realistic estimate? Uh, I think the figure was $114 billion that was put out, hmm. uh, but you've got to look behind this because the assumption in that was that we would use existing technology, which is history, and most uh, significantly those costs included huge costs of tunnelling to get into the city centres. Mm. Uh, now, as we all know, China's doing a lot of work in this and already they tell us they've got the infrastructure cost down considerably. But even more significantly, in my opinion, is we should look to reduce the tunnelling into our centres mm. and uh, because that's where the huge cost is. And, for example, in Sydney... We've been looking at this and the $114 million, billion dollar proposal takes it into the CBD of Sydney. Whereas we're saying that's not going to be the centre of Sydney in 20 years. Parramatta is. So take it to Parramatta. If you do that, you drop the costs huge amount. For example, between what we might call the stage one, which we think is Sydney-Newcastle, you'd halve the cost. And, and that's, you know, they're huge, huge savings. Yes, I saw some figures saying it could be as low as $65 billion. That's still a, a huge amount. Uh, how long would it take to, to build these sorts of lines? Uh, well, in my opinion, uh, a realistic figure is about 10 years hence. It, by the time you do the planning, knock out all the other aspects. But the generally quoted figure is 20 years, but this is largely due to the difficulty of working with the various governments because they are always very, very reluctant and very slow to accept new concepts and new technologies that would be coming into Australia. Talking about the new technologies, do we run the risk that if we decide now something like maglev might be, you know, magnetic levitation might well come into its own? Is there ever a good time to make this decision? Well, yes, and that's the weakness in the proposals that we've had on the table uh, for quite a number of years now, and including the most recent one, which is the 114 billion one, because they're all based on past technology, which is what they call wheel on rail. Hmm. Uh, whereas the future does seem to be in magnetic levitation, and the country that's sort of been leaning a very fast trains for forever and a day is Japan, hmm. and the current uh, new system they're build, building between Tokyo and Osaka is magnetic levitation, it, but it's the Japanese magnetic levitation which is subtly different to the Chinese one. But the Chinese are also looking at it and they're starting to talk about breakthroughs in the system and particularly breakthroughs in price, which is you know, absolutely important to bring this thing. But, but you know, Japan, Japan is committed. They've, they've changed. They're building their next high-speed rail line as, as a maglev. Well, I we hope we might get to the future someday. Ken, thanks very much for your time. A pleasure.
And that's Ken Dobbinson from 10,000 Friends of Greater Sydney talking about very fast trains and their applicability to Australia. And you can hear a longer version of that interview if you go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Like most medium SUVs, the Nissan X-Trail has grown up a lot uh, now that it's into its third generation. Growing up includes getting bigger but also getting better. The latest model comes with a lot of good features and a wide range of models. It's in the medium SUV class, which currently is led by the Mazda CX-5, followed by the Toyota RAV4, the Subaru Forester, and in fourth place is our Nissan X-Trail. To help us understand what the X-Trail is all about, I have on the line Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury. Good day, Brent. Good day, mate. How are you going? Oh, top of the world, mate. Top of the world. I tell you... <laughs> it... you've been, you're top of the world because you've been out four-wheel driving in your Nissan X-Trail press car. I know. <laughs> Yes, it's a lovely car, and it's paid for by someone else. I, I, I yeah, can't but, but it's, it, it's not quite a four-wheel drive, is it? No, no. It's uh, in fact, it, it's it's now got small, uh, lower ground clearance than the model it replaced. In fact, the Subaru Forester has ten millimeters more ground clearance than this one. Now, I always thought of the Forester as a car that's grown up a bit into a SUV, rather than some of these others that are SUVs trying to grow down a bit into a car. But here it is: the Subaru Forester has more ground clearance. Yeah, look, I think that the, the clue here is in the X Trail's name, and that being the X for for crossover. Yeah. We're moving away from uh, you know, bland people movers and station wagons. This isn't my description, by the way. I'm quite a fan of people movers and station wagons. But um, we're moving away from those, and we're also moving away from the kind of heavy-duty four-wheel drive. So we get this this cross piece, uh, which brings us into something which is, it looks a little bit uh, macho, and it feels a little bit soft when you drive it. So it's it's a bit of a blend. You, you can walk the walk, but you don't have to talk the talk if you don't want to. If you don't want to. It does look a bit macho. I think it's got almost an American uh, bull nose, strong nose, grill sort of front to it. And from the side, it looks a bit more like a station wagon, which I think is good. Um, yeah, look, I, I think it's a, it's quite a handsome car. It's it's moved well away from the, the basically 90-degree uh, vertical and horizontal mm. uh, lines of the, of the previous model, which was extremely popular, by the way. Mm. Um, uh, and it's got this kind of um, almost a sort of a Euro chic to it. And, and for me, I saw the car unveiled in Europe and, and I, it, it looked right at home amongst all the, all the Euro cars around it. So, yeah, it, look, it, it, it looks good and it, it feels good on the road to me. And it's good room inside. I found the driver, you could easily get into it, uh, although it's not good if you get the, the few models that are available with a third row of seats. Uh, that's uh, very small, the third row of seats. It's really for very small kids. But the rest of it, for you know the driver and that, I thought the room inside was very, very good. 
Yeah, look, I agree with you on the third row of seats in, in a car that's not all that big, really. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think they're trying to do the uh, you know, all things to all men type deal. I mean, look, yeah. it, it, it's not quite 4.7 metres long. That's not, that's not even a, a you know, biggish station wagon. Um, certainly not a biggish people mover. So, yeah, look, if I was spending my, my bucks, I would leave the third row out mm-hmm. and uh, and go for that bit more spaciousness, as you say. It just just feels feels a little cramped. It or even looks a little cramped with that with that other row in there. Oh yeah, we we you know tried to get the fourteen year old in there, and he was you know his knees up around his ears sort of thing. It was. Uh, not not, not uh, easy. Now, yeah. it, it comes with three engines, uh, the two-litre, but it's, that's only available in the very base model manual. And then it's got a 2.5-litre four-cylinder petrol uh, and then a diesel as well, a 1.6-litre diesel. How did you find the 2.5-litre four-cylinder petrol? I think the two-and-a-half-litre petrol engine is the pick of them. I, agree. I think the two-litre engine and the 1.6 diesel are just a little underpowered. Hmm. Uh, um, put it this way, with the diesel, it's just a bit too much car for the engine, whereas with, with the two-litre petrol, it's just a bit too... not enough engine for the car, if that makes makes any sense. Yeah. It's kind of a thing you feel when you drive it rather than, than trying to explain it. <laughs> Brent, lovely to talk to you as always. Thank you very much for your time. And David, let me say it is always my pleasure. (laughs) Good on you. And that's Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury talking about the Nissan X-Trail. Overdrive. For more information and past programs, go to drivenmedia.com.au. And we're back for another year to talk about some of the more unusual stories in the glorious world of motoring and transport. And uh, very fortunately, I have on the line Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. G'day, Brian. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. G'day, Errol. (laughs) By the way, just before we do that, um, you remember we had that story last year about the singing road? where if you drove down the road and went over the markers at the correct speed, you got the sound, the beat of a song? Yes, you could play the music. Yeah. Uh, in fact, do you know the Bee Gees song, Jive Talking? They set the rhythm to that when they were driving across the Julia Tuttle Causeway on their way to the studios in Miami. What a beautiful story, David. I can just picture them there, um, you know, the, the rhythm of the road, inspiring them. Yeah. That's beautiful. They were doing exact, exactly 35 miles an hour, which is fortunate, or they would have had to sing an even higher falsetto. <laughs> <laughs> it was either that or 99 green bottles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now here's a story. The US space agency, NASA, has joined with Japanese car maker Nissan to develop self-driving cars. And they aim to start testing the first vehicles by the end of this year. Now, a five-year research and development partnership uh, to advance the development of autonomous vehicles and their commercial applications has been signed. And the partnership will focus on autonomous drive systems, human-machine interface solutions, network-enabled applications, software analysis and verification. 
all very sophisticated hardware and software. Gentlemen, uh, they're going to use it to transport, or vehicles to transport materials, goods, payloads and peoples. Is NASA an ideal company to help uh, car manufacturers produce a decent product? Over to you, Errol. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know if anyone's realised this, but uh, but but NASA and uh, Nissan have obviously been working together at, at least since the 90s. I mean, we had the Nissan Pathfinder SUV uh, revision, you know, uh, second series was released very coincidentally about exactly the same time as the NIS, as the NASA Pathfinder Mars Rover. There you go. They've been stalking. Yeah, it's, it's been a secret, it's a secret conspiracy between the two of them. Is that no one, no one picked it up? Badge engineering. <laughs> well, talk about whether they were similar sorts of vehicles uh, that might do it. But uh, and NASA, of course, has experience of staying cocooned inside a capsule for a long period of time, with time to move around. Okay, now that's going to happen with autonomous cars. You're going to be able to do everything inside the vehicle while you go around. So what about vacuum toilets? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I also look <laughs> forward, David, to the idea that um, that if something goes wrong with a car on, on the way, hmm. Apollo 11 style, NASA can sort of talk you through. They'll have they'll have yeah. some, uh, you know, some technicians you know trying to mock up a solution for you and they'll talk you through like you'll obviously have to wait for that enormous lag in the messages yeah. and uh <laughs> and hope that doesn't affect it but uh, yeah i love the idea that uh you know somebody in a, a, a white short sleeve shirt with a buzz cut and a tie um could be helping diagnose your car on the move yeah mm. yeah N- nissan we have a problem <laughs> You talked about the Mars sort of Pathfinder, the Mars Curiosity. I had a look at the details of that. Uh, it's about the size of a small SUV, so clearly they have a commonality there. But it's uh, not autonomous, is it, David? Oh, well, the, the Curiosity the one. The Curiosity? The Curiosity one wandered around Mars doing experiments. It's still got a bit of uh, instruction from Earth. It's just that it took a real long time to get there. Mm. Mm. I thought well, it was not, driven uh, by a joystick, more or less, from Earth. Well, it's not. Uh, they can't. They can't do that because there's too much uh, lag. You know, it's like uh, I think it's eight minutes or something, isn't it? Between buffering. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they basically they basically tell it where to go, and it's kind of drives itself there. So it's it's pretty much in the same direction as, as what they want to do. Okay. I'm, I'm a bit. I'm surprised they haven't been involved earlier. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, I think they were, but so I'm a bit concerned about the uh, the Datsun 9000 computer that will be running it. <laughs> yes, you'll, you'll want to hope it doesn't perform like Hal. Yes. <laughs> so what do you think you're doing, Dave? Yeah. Dave Brown. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't think I can do that, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You want to watch it for your reviews then at some point. Um, David, or, you know, the car could take you oh. off a bridge or... Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. Of course, yes. I get in the car and I say, yeah, right, I want to go around this corner at this speed. No, David. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, Dave, I'm afraid you can't do that. That's right. <laughs> You'll look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle built for two, famously the the song that uh, that helps to kill Al Hal, I suppose, in the movie. Oh, he reverts that right? to yes. that. Yes, okay. as his memory chips are being removed. Well, the, the Curiosity, the Mars one, the interesting thing they did was well, it was almost square in size. It was 3 metres by 2.8 metres. So clearly it's being designed for fat Americans. 
<laughs> to, to be out there. And it was nearly, it was over two metres tall, so American basketballers could fit into it too. So, you know, perhaps there are some dimensional things that m- might give some hints to modern cars. Oh, look, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think NASA could teach Nissan something about design as well. They could make some pretty interesting-looking vehicles. Well, the, the Curiosity has six wheels, of course. Weighs 900 kilograms, which is pretty light, although pretty heavy if you've got to dump it onto Mars. Uh, the other thing is that the Curiosity had wheels of 20 inches. That's fairly modern. Of course, oh, uh, yeah. you know, low profile. Uh, up up mm. market. Uh, cars now have up to 20 or maybe even 21 inches and it can roll over obstacles of 25 inches in height well that's that, that's you know your worst speed hump is well yeah, you, would, you wouldn't mm-hmm. need to ask it to divert around yeah. speed humps Ex- excellent ground clearance on that model hmm. uh, yeah. and heat, heat beads and heat panels <laughs> <laughs> in case you want to get a taxi there that's it right, goes... re-entry, re-entry the dry, to the driveway. Yeah, well, that's it. They could dump it at your place from the sky. Because and that's... accurately, exactly, couldn't yes. they? Mm. Put, it, put it in your driveway. And, 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 and didn't it have basically, didn't it land on the, on the surface with a giant airbag? Uh, no, that was the one before. Ah. Uh, the one before had that. It had its giant airbags around it, and so it just tumbled onto Mars' surface. Uh, this modern one had two sensitive equipment on it, so they actually parachuted it initially, then they broke the parachute off, dropped off the heat shield underneath, and then landed it with sort of like rocket things. Uh, well, th- this, this is clearly the Nissan of the future. <laughs> I want to get them involved in public transport so, you know, they can accurately deliver a bus or a train on time. <laughs> on time. On time. <laughs> It used a multi-mission radioisotope thermoelectric generator which ran off the heat of plutonium-238. So that might be a different power source for today's cars, but perhaps not one that would be all that acceptable. We'll want a coal-fired one for Australia. (laughs) Good for humanity. it's, It's been running for like 10 years or something, isn't it? And it's still going, so it's uh, that's that's the way forward. Just I, about that's, warranty. that's some serious fuel efficiency there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but look at the cost to have it serviced. <laughs> Apparently, the only trouble with it was that it wore its wheels out rather more quickly more than expected. Burnouts. Mm. But <laughs> yes, chucking wheelies. <laughs> so those those, those do- donuts on the Martian surface. When uh, they land on Mars, there was a summer gnats event going on. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. You're Super. very welcome. And that's Brian Smith and Errol Smith talking some unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Brian Smith, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Now, if you would like to hear extended segments of the show or past episodes, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.